Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Grief fundamentally changes who we are and how we see the world. It's painful and heartbreaking, but also transformative and magical. This podcast is about grief and loss, but more importantly, it's about life and living fearlessly. I'm Kelsey Chittick, and welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have a guest that I was lucky enough to be on her podcast uh, not too long ago, and her podcast is called How to Deal with Grief and Trauma. And today, our guest is Natalie Himmelrich. And she occupies a space that I think is really important. She is someone who's been through grief intimately, actually compound grief, which is what we're going to talk about today in terms of just people having loss and then having another major loss soon after and how she's dealt with that. But she is a holistic counselor and a coach. She walks alongside people that are dealing with challenges presented by life and death. She's also a writer and a published author and the founder of the Grieving Parent Support Network. So we only have 30 minutes, but we have a ton of things to talk about. So thank you so much for joining me from, tell them where you're joining us from. Thank you for having me. I'm joining from Switzerland. See, we're, we're a global, we're a global <laughs> podcast here, people. There is grief happening everywhere and we are exactly. talking to everyone. So thank you. Natalie, can you start by just sharing how you got to be the therapist that you are and the mother and daughter that you are uh, based on what you've been through over the past 10 years? So I was a therapist before I actually experienced my my personal most significant losses. And I look back at my training in counseling and asking my clients from before my losses, they would say I was helpful. But looking at myself, I think, oh my God. So basically 11 years ago, or yeah, 11 years ago in September, I gave birth to twins and my younger daughter, Maya, then died on the third day. And then to make it very short, only four and a half months later, my mother died from suicide. And so those two losses quite close to each other, they really made something. I mean, first of all, I was also a new mother of a newborn baby. So I was raising a newborn with all the perks and pleasures and, and <laughs> challenges of sleepless nights that that entailed then. But I also was sort of grieving at the same time her sister. And I was met with people's comments such as, oh, well, at least you've got one and she's healthy, which is a cognitive truth, but it's completely emotionally barren. And then when my mother died, people sort of didn't know what to say anymore because it was just 
too much and and even more so than people just um, were stunned into silence when I when I spoke about that. Now, asking me how did I deal with that? I mean, I would say the first one to two years, I don't know how well I dealt with it. Now, I I had the the thought that I needed help from a very, very early point in time. So already right after we gave birth, we went to a grief support group at the hospital, just because maybe because I was a therapist, but also I'm very self-analytical. And I wanted to know as much as I had my training, I wanted to know how, how am I doing this and, and how do people deal with that? Because as much as I knew about loss and I knew about pregnancy, infant loss and this month is actually Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, so it's it's, it's in at least in the circle that I'm. Um, it's it's very much spoken about. But so we went to a a group at the hospital, and then after about three months, I went to see a, a therapist myself. And so I just needed a sounding board and and asked her, "Am I doing this right?" So that was the first thing that I did, and I think looking at my clients as well, I think that is is paramount or was paramount for me and the the people that I have the honor to work with I see the benefit that they have when they can talk about it when they can deal with it and integrate it and and actually voice out those initial thoughts like I feel like I'm going crazy or what's the point about this and why did it happen all the usual things that we go through at the beginning or let's say the usual things that I hear over and over again and then when my mother died, I remember I had a period of a few months where I was just really angry. She had attempted suicide before and I had conversations with her when I was 19 weeks pregnant. It was at the same time as we found out that there was something going on with Amaya, the girl who then died. And so I had conversations with her about that and how could you and would you. And she explained to me, you know, that it has nothing to do with you when I'm in that place where I'm suicidal I don't think about you or or my grandchildren it has nothing to do with you now from a sane point of mind that's difficult to understand it's like how can you say that but that's thinking about me and she gave me an insight and even at that time she said to me you know I knew at the beginning it would be hard but with time grief becomes easier and when she said that I was also really angry and I thought how can you say that but looking back now it's going to be 11 years in January since she died, she's right. I'm not saying that time heals. I'm saying that with time and with grief work, that's my experience, it gets easier. Oh, there's two things that you've said that I love. Well, I love that it's not that time heals, it's with time. The grief becomes integrated, right? I think before you go through really hard things, you you watch other people or neighbors or you hear stories and you think, I couldn't do it. I mean, how many times have you said that one, that one, I wouldn't make it through that. And what I've learned about the human spirit is if you so choose, you pretty much can make it through anything if you give attention to it. I, I just did a podcast with one of my best friends from high school whose father committed suicide. And one of the things she talked about that was really interesting that her therapist said that kind of changed her experience of suicide was that it they aren't thinking about you, but it's not selfish. It's literally cognitively not possible. They are in such a spot that they don't have the resources or the space to think, how am I affecting everyone? Because most of those people were very good partners and parents and people for, for many, for many years or a lot of times they were. 
And so in that moment, when they choose that, they are not thinking about you. And as hurtful as that is, if you twist it, maybe it's also more beautiful because they're not, they're not, you're not on their mind. So if they, if you were on their mind, they wouldn't do it. Exactly. I love that way. The other thing I love that you said regarding your daughter's death is that they would say, and that is something I would totally have said before grief. Well, at least you have one daughter and you said it's cognitively appropriate, but emotionally barren. Mm -hmm. That's like pretty much 50% about what people say after death. And honest to goodness, it's not their fault because nobody, I still say stupid stuff all the time because once you're out of it, you are focusing on what's good. And after you've gone through grief or gone through life, you go, well, here's the blessings in it. I think that's what people are saying. But in the moment of early grief, when anyone tries to discount the pain, it just feels like you're you're not even being seen or heard. Exactly. So I think many, I'm tempted to say most, but I would, let's call it many of those silver linings go under this, under this umbrella of cognitively true, like, oh, you're still young, you can have another another baby or in your case or you'll find another husband as if that person that you've lost is replaceable so there's a, there's a, just a common sort of resemblance of the the five most used myth one is time heals all wound a loss is replaceable grief alone I mean, don't go into all of them but they're variations of that and often these sta- statements that people use in an utter hope hopeless, I would say hopeless, helplessness to make the person, the bereaved, feel better, they might be true. Some are true, but they are emotionally inappropriate or barren, as I say. And often there are also statements of things that they that we actually don't know, like, oh, I'm sure she's in a better place, or God right. needed another angel, just to name a few. God, is there anything worse than God needed another angel? Yeah. Like, I feel so, like he's got a lot. I don't know that. <laughs> I don't think he's like, oh, we're going to need to take that one. I hate that one. Yeah. So I think it's people's helplessness. And that you were saying, lots of these sentences that we say when we are on trained as supporters to the bereaved is because of what we've been fed throughout growing up. But even now through the shows on Netflix. So for example, I've written a couple of articles on the grief theory in Downton Abbey. So if you've seen Downton Abbey, there's a lot of loss there. One person after the next dies. And they say all these things about people dying and what you should think and what you should do. And it's a beautiful example of how we are being fed those sentences that then we use or then we don't know what to say. I mean, one of the sentences well that I find is helpful, like I can't ima- I can't start to imagine what you're going through. And still, even I can't imagine or I can't start to imagine is usually another way to say I'd rather not imagine because truthfully, any person can imagine losing a child, even if they're not a parent, but they'd rather not. And who's to blame them? Because yeah, they don't want to imagine something that is so sad. I love that. I say that all the time. I can't imagine how it feels. It makes them go, well, actually, that's not true because you can and you would you want to throw up, right? So you, I mean, and I, I want, why I love talking to you about grief is because you really, you you know it on both sides, both as a therapist and as a person. 
I mean, can help us. We haven't had someone like this on the podcast. Like what, what do we say? What do we do? And then when is it appropriate to begin to encourage, you know, encourage friends and loved ones that with, with whatever platitudes we, we sometimes do believe in and do help at a certain point. Um, I love now when people say you're going to meet somebody and he's going to be amazing and I'm five years out, but what, what do we say early on? And then what can we say and how do we know when it's appropriate to become the encourager as opposed to the, I don't know what you'd call somebody that supports early grief. Yeah. So, I mean, you said we have 30 minutes time. I mean, your question is actually what I have answered in my latest book, Bridging the Grief Gap, because there was this question again and again. So what do we say? How do we come how do we become better supporters for the bereaved or the bereaved we're saying? I mean, how can I teach people or tell people what is actually helpful? And the first and most important thing is presence. And I find that in itself is very hard for people to just be there and not trying to fix or fade or, or dampen or lessen the pain that someone is going through. Being able to be there with someone, and I can name you the three people or the, yeah, the three people that were able to hold presence while I was in such never before experienced pain. And that's a rare thing. However, it can be practiced. It's not a talent that you just, that you just get born with. It's a skill that you can practice. And it has to do with the ability to stay with your own pain, with your own grief or your own history of grief that might come up in the face of meeting someone. So that I call it the art of presence to be able to be there. And you mentioned another thing, which is time. So time is a factor in the sense that if you say something, which is uh, one of those grief myths of, let's say, replace the loss, you'll find another person. If you say that early on, it's, it's like, as you were saying, you don't acknowledge the actual pain and the person that you have lost, which is not replaceable. But later on, that might be more digestible because then you are yourself ready to meet someone else. And you know, the difference is with those myth or silver lining is if the bereaved person themselves say that, then you know it's appropriate. So if if you say, I'm looking forward to, I'm sure I will meet someone else, then your surrounding knows, okay, she's there she's ready to go to the next step or if a mother then says I want to have another baby then you know that she's thinking about it now still no one will ever replace right your husband right right yeah I mean you're not divorced you're widowed that's a difference yeah no that's really that's important it's so tricky because I think with my kids I could sit with their pain because I, I had no other choice because it was too big and it, I wasn't helping. I could tell. I think when we meet people and we see them for an hour and they're, they're in the middle of a grief process and we're in the middle of our real life, you know, so when you're not in grief and you're just doing the daily thing before the other shoe drops, it's hard to drop into that spot that people are in. So I love the idea of just taking a few breaths and just being there with them in the moment that they're in without having any advice. I am the worst at that. And I I do think about my friends now, and I don't know if, you know, when I have those moments still, they nobody talks now. It's this beautiful thing. I might start to just sob and cry. And it's it's like a big wave that hits. And everyone just waits. 
no one says a word anymore. And I remember they started doing that maybe about six months in. Somebody caught on that every time we say something to her, she's going to just freak out. She's going to hate us. She's going to I'm like, you don't get it. Because <laughs> nothing you say can make me feel better because I'm mad. And so whatever you say, I'm going to be mad about. Mm-hmm. And so what everyone does is just sit silently. And I'm and now I'm, I'm like, wait, oh my God, like we can talk now because it's been five years. But I do think what they did and continue to do is they wait and they you might have to stunt their, them into silence, like, oh, I, I oh yeah, yeah. And they put their hand on my my shoulder. And that's really, that's a beautiful practice. Talk about compound grief and how you, how do you compartmentalize or do you when it, it also, and, and you had two major losses, but sometimes grief can come with a change in the family dynamic or a change in dreams or a change in a lifestyle that is its own compound grief, not as, as, as physical and, and painful as yours, but you lose a lot of things at once. Maybe you lose your home because you lost your spouse. Maybe you lose a job because you couldn't go there. Maybe you're financially in a bad spot. Maybe the shift of losing a parent leaves you with the parent you didn't want to be left with. What do you do? Do you put it in different buckets or did it all fall in the, in together for you? Hmm. I don't think I could ever compartmentalize it. I mean, it was all here. I also had a young baby to take care of. So I was consumed with that. But at the same time, I was conscious to make time for grief. For example, in the first year and year and a half, one of the things that I consciously did was I walked the creek in the back of our house. And what I did imagine, there's nothing that I read, I just knew I had to do it. I walked in nature and I also taught myself to imagine the water running down the creek to be washing out all my anger. I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of anger at myself because what we call the post-loss self, the new normal, as they call it, is nothing like normal. It doesn't feel like normal. I was angry a lot and I hated myself for being angry. So I remember 18 months into my grief, because I've written it in my first book, so I know exactly when it, when it was. I actually said to my husband, you know, you can leave anytime. I am stuck with myself and I have to get along with myself. And that was sort of the, the, the description of the, the pain that I was in. And yes, I was doing my grief work. Also in the second year, I was writing my first book. It, I mean, it just came out and it was really helpful, helpful therapy to talk, to talk about that with all these different grieving parents and to understand what they had done. Basically, I did what I do in the podcast now and I did it then for the first book, more in terms of how, how did you deal with it in your relationship? And with my mother... I wrote, because I had like successive dreams of her, like that would go on night after night and I would write her letters. And there came a point where I couldn't deal with it anymore. And I wrote her angry letters and I said, okay, this has to stop. I can't have it anymore. It was, it was taking my sleep and it was exhausting. I don't think that I could differentiate or I could differentiate between whether that was grief for my daughter or grief for my mother. It was, it was all just mixed into one. What I also did was I joined a group. It was a year long group of survivors of family members of suicide victims. And that was also hugely helpful. So, I mean, I, maybe that's my personality as a therapist to just go right in and, and, and dig deep. That this is what I have to do. And I mean, all of that was, was hugely helpful, but 
in those first six to 24 months, I actually didn't think I was doing that well. I did. I wasn't really aware of my amber of resilience as I am now looking back. I'm looking back and I think, you know, you had it all the time. It's just a really intense experience that there's no way around. Even if you've studied in and even if you've worked with a lot of clients on the same topics, that doesn't exempt you. You know, you still have to go through beginner's class. Yeah, there is no way around it. There is no, there is nothing you can do but keep going. And it, I do think, I think especially for suicide, because it's a, it's a different loss in a different way. And so we have to find people that understand the loss that we have. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I lost my husband. You lost your daughter and your mother. They're all unique. They're, yes, it's all loss, but the, the juxtaposition to those relationships creates a different experience. And it's really important that people find people that are going through similar losses because then you have this freedom to say the inappropriate things, to say the hard things. Did you find that, for me, I did, that having the children was the greatest gift when he died, but also it it it, it kept me going, but I also was, I had to get away from them in order to grieve. And I did a lot of walking and I, I continue to, people think I'm crazy in my town, but being outside in nature is is how I start my day. And if I don't walk in nature, I I get discombobulated. So was having your daughter helpful? I mean, having a newborn is so damn hard to begin with. Did it feel not a burden, but it did it feel like you couldn't be there for her the way you wanted? Or were you able to kind of move at, into your grief and then put it aside and take care of her? Or again, did it all mix together? You know, because I didn't have any experience of myself as a mother before loss, I only came into being a mother and a lost mother at the same time. I have nothing to compare with. So that's a good thing. Something in me made it clear that I wanted to be as good of a mother as I could be, perfectionist. And so I, but also with having lost Amaya, I had the sense of, I need to do this extra good. Right. Now, I don't know if that's really healthy because, I mean, the good enough parent is good enough. And I was obviously straining myself in certain cases to the point of of being like a zombie walking around because I, I did not sleep with her feeding with her feeding schedule so often. So it all just makes into one. Like, for example, I was breastfeeding her and then I was grieving at the same time. So I, I could not um, do one and then the other, but I made absolutely certain that I had time 
as much as I could, not as much, but as soon as I could to take myself into therapy or to take myself onto walks. And I luckily had the support to be able to do that. I don't think that you can separate those two things. They're just, I mean, I don't, I'm not able to. Yeah, I don't, I, I have some friends who are like, I have a bunch of doors in my head and they have like, they're able to compartmentalize. And I'm like, I was born with an open floor plan. Like there are no, <laughs> I'm looking for a door where I can put some stuff behind, but I I can't. The good news of that is you're dealing with it constantly. So you are, you are, you're not locking anything away. Yeah. So I do think that ability to say I'm here for all of it and it's all mixed in to this big gumbo of life. How was your relationship with your husband and how was it becoming a mother when you lost your mother? I mean, your mother never got to see the girls and it's just timing blows my mind. Yeah, she did. She did. Oh, I'm she sorry. She actually did. Yeah, they, they came to visit us because they were living in Switzerland. And at the time I was living in, in Sydney, Australia. So they came at Christmas. They spent a month with us. So they oh. they got to see the the girl. And then not even three weeks after she left, she died from suicide. So she got to see. But what your question was? I Well, no, I'm sorry. I, I did too many questions at once. I didn't know that she got to see them, see her. And was she able to mother you during that time when she visited? Look, she was in a in a managed depressive state, I would say, or at then. And, and it was obviously challenging in, the, in terms of seeing my father being so stressed in taking care of her. And he had found her with the previous attempt. So there was a whole history of taking care of her being stable enough to travel, but but clearly not in a, in a stable place as I knew her from before. I mean, she's been battling with depression for seven years at that time. And losing my mother and like sort of and being a mother at the same time, I mean, there was all these lost opportunities because she loved babies. And so for her not to be here, that was a big loss for me as well, to be able to enjoy another baby, you know. And we actually planned already to come back to Switzerland and live in Switzerland just because I wanted my parents to have more time with them as well. And so for then that to be completely changed and that really... That really was another secondary loss that I that I dealt with that I had to deal with that was was hard. So yeah. So the first Mother's Day I remember being um a first-time mother and also being a first-time semi-orphan child was weird. It's weird. Timing mm-hmm. is just it's it's hard. You're really strong. You're really it's amazing too that this is the work that you do and this is what you've been through because you get it. So I'm sure that people that talk to you, you get all the the aspects of it in a really beautiful way. You know, I think I'm not I'm I don't nothing I don't think I'm strong or I I'm I don't actually I You may not feel it, but from yeah. the outside it appears that you have chosen to stand in your life in the midst of all of the things. Yeah, you know, I, I I like in terms of the shamanic traditions, you know, they say you are not ever completely healed until you become a healer yourself. Mm. So I, I was a healer in, on that on that so, subject before, but in this way, this was really the, the wounded healer that I was then becoming even more. And I think the more I healed myself from that pain, the better I became at being compassionate to others. And even though they said I was 
really helpful to them before those who had dealt who dealt with grief. I can see that that increased so much with my personal deep experience. And I think that, you know, the psyche really grows from hardship. Yeah. And not that anyone would ever want to have that hardship to grow, but it's it's that kind of arc of or narrative that wants to unfold with that post-traumatic growth. And I think it's the question if if you can let it, if you can if you can go with the flow or if you if you swim against the tide. Yeah, it's I you know, people I always say that I wouldn't wish this on anybody and I wouldn't change it for anything. Because this is the life I was given and this was the portal to a whole new dimension for me. I could have gone on, you know, for another 40 years, married to my college sweetheart, and we could have had a, a really good life. And yet this was this was the path that I'm on and this is the path that you're on. And there's a there is so much beauty in grief because it strips away everything that you thought mattered and it really brings you to the present moment. And I I wish there was a way that we could do it without pain. I just have yet to see it. I've yet to see anybody that I really admire and I really I really listen to that hasn't really been through some shit. Hmm. You know, it's I mean, just pain is a great catalyst. I mean, why do you go to the doctor? Why do you look after your health? Because there's something that bugs you or hurts you, and then you look after it. Right, right. Pain, like, and what do they always say? There's a reason that fire feels hot because you need to know and it it you need to be aware of it. Yeah, I think it's grief is really and what what gets me all the time is it just happens all the time. Like this isn't we're not special. You and I and our loss is is way more common than anybody thinks and the more we talk about it and the more that our culture begins to have a have a conversation around it in a different way that it's it is sad and it hurts and it's miserable and all those things are true to how it feels but on the other side of it is just an awareness of the beauty of this life that you can't get without that other mm. so i grief work is i think is the heart's work it's the work of all of our life it's the work of letting go it's the work of accepting that what we thought would be or could be or should be is no longer. And I, I mean, I think you're just doing, you're doing great work and the way you talk about it is, is soothing just to even have you on a podcast. The one question I asked you, cause I always think about marriages with loss, especially loss of a child. How did you two, and we'll end on this question because I think a lot of people struggle with their spouse when there's grief, whether it's a child or a mother, but what does, especially what does a man do for a woman that has gone through loss? Well, I think it depends on their grieving style. So, in, and I write about that because it's that was sort of the first pivotal insight that I gained from group therapy, the differences in terms of grieving. Now they're called male and female grieving, not having to say that the male grieves like that and the female grieves like that. So one is the intuitive griever, that's the female, needs to talk, needs to voice, needs to express. And then the cognitive griever needs to do things, needs to do something more inside themselves. And Actually, I had this epiphany when I did the last podcast in from in season two with my ex-husband now talking about 11 years of grief. And he shared how he's still grieving every day now, but it's, it's just a very private thing. And I'm like, I didn't know that. He's never shared that. I mean, yes, we spoke about it a, a lot during our early years. and And also we've been separated for 
three years and divorced since last year. And so I knew a lot, but that part I didn't know. And he shared that, yeah, recently someone asked me, how is it for you? And I shared, yeah, it's still, it's still with me every day. And I think of her every day. And if some, someone doesn't speak about that, you're not aware. Having said that, in the beginning of our grief journey, he was he was there and he's expressing that in, in that podcast. He said, I would just look that I would just make sure that you are okay. So he was he was going out and making sure that I was looked after because also I had a, a newborn and he was going into caretaking and he was the doer per se. And I was just in shock. I was like, <laughs> I sort of couldn't do it. So he was really helpful in that sense. And I see a lot of couple who sort of oscillate between being down and being up. So yeah. being the supporter and then the other. If that's the case, that is helpful because then then there's a support on both sides. Now, in terms of loss, one important thing is to understand that a loss of a child brings two people that have lost the same relational person. However, the relation is not the same. So the the person might be the same. So for your two children, dad is the same person, but the relation that they have to their dad is individual and is personal. And so the loss and the meaning that they place on the loss is different because their relationship is different. And the same applies to parents who lose a child. So you cannot compare what he's going through or what she's going through because the relationship is different. And that was that's what makes the meaning. That's brilliant, actually. That's brilliant about the kids. I have to remember that because... I seem to always assume that it is like my son. He's the oldest and he was the most able to talk about it because he was 12. But I'm starting to realize my daughter's loss was completely different for a thousand different reasons. And she didn't have the words and still doesn't have the words because at the age of when he died, she didn't have the vocabulary to define it as much as my son did. So that really helps me that they might both have lost their father, but they didn't lose the same relationship. Mm. Yeah. And they lose it at a different age. So the relationship has developed in a certain in a certain way until then. Right. And also a male child and a female, I mean a girl and a boy, right. they relate to their dad in a different way. Yeah. First of that and then the age. Whew. You're brilliant. You're doing great work from Switzerland. <laughs> I keep thinking maybe I need to visit Switzerland and we'll do a podcast. I've got so many things to do. Anything else you want to share? Any websites or anything that people can check out or books? Just let go ahead and let them know in case there's because you have tons of resources. Yeah. So basically the best place to come is just nataliehimmelrich.com, Natalie with a TH, the French spelling. And those who are grieving parents, there's the Grieving Parent Support Network, which is grievingparents.net. And there's a lot of resources there. The podcast is hosted on my website. It's more generalized grief and, and all the books are also there on the on, on my website that they can look into. Okay. Thank you so much, Nally. We've talked twice now and I love it. Yes. I, I love that, so how we much. found each other. So thank you so much and we'll be in touch. And if I have any questions, um, man, you've you've got this uh you've got this cornered in some way and the way you speak about it, it's really beautiful. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep going. It gets better. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.